Well, welcome to a bonus episode of the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Myla's right-hand man, Ed Gilbreth. <laughs> and we're excited today to welcome a very special guest to the Every Voice Now podcast, our very own producer, visionary extraordinaire, Miss Helen Lee. <laughs> yes. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I mean, so in addition to being the mastermind behind this podcast, hardly, hardly. Helen is the Associate Director of Strategic Partnerships for InterVarsity Press, and she's also the leader of IVP's Every Voice Now initiative, um, which she's going to talk to us about in a moment. Um, but on top of all of that, she's also an accomplished author, a speaker, a mother, a wife, a thoughtful leader. So, you know, she has a lot of free time. <laughs> um, so welcome to the podcast, Helen. Thanks so much yes. to my favorite co-hosts of my favorite podcast. So this is a, this is our podcast, something that we all have been working on together really from scratch. And it's been so great to be in partnership with you all on this. Well, we're happy to have you. So our listeners will notice that this episode is pretty raw, pretty rough and tumble without all the post-production polish. The reason is we really wanted to rush to get this done. Helen recently posted an honest and profoundly insightful commentary on the lack of diversity in Christian publishing. And since we occasionally touch on that <laughs> subject here on Every Voice Now, we thought it would be a great opportunity to have her on the show to talk about that essay, but also to talk about Every Voice Now in general and how it's becoming a model for how other Christian publishers need to be responding during this historic moment in the church mm -hmm. and in the world. So Helen, thanks for coming out from behind the scenes to talk to us today. Well, I do much prefer being behind the scenes, but I can't say <laughs> no to you and Myla Ed. So thank you for asking me. Well, we're going to interview you like we do all of our other authors. <laughs> and so this is going to be really fun having you in the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you know this. We start every episode by asking our authors um, what their ethnic background is to describe their family and where they're from. So tell us your story, Helen. Yeah, I'm happy to. So I am second generation Korean American. My dad is originally from what is now known as North Korea. He was a refugee during that uh, wartime period wow. in the Korean War. He actually, today is the 70, 70th anniversary of my dad leaving his home behind in Pyongyang. And uh, so his is a whole story. We could do a whole podcast on his wow. story, but he was essentially a refugee fleeing that area of Korea, ended up in South Korea, and then ended up immigrating to the U.S., where he eventually met my mom. So he and my mom immigrated to the US separately and they met in a very American way on a blind date. <laughs> and, oh, no and, way. Yes, there, there, I guess at that time, you know, there weren't that many Koreans to meet one another. So you just had to rely on networks and friendships. And so they, they met uh, long distance, they kept in touch. And then I think they got married within a year after they met, um, after a long distance relationship. So I was born here in the US. I grew up mainly outside of Washington, DC, but I've lived here in Chicagoland for probably more than 20 years now in total. Wow. 
And now you are the mother of how many boys? <laughs> three, three boys. Ed knows them well. They are 18, or 18, our 18 Great, year old. Is, young men. <laughs> yes. He's a pianist like his dad. So he has wow. his dad's piano talent. So he's a freshman in college, just like Ed's youngest son. Um, we also have a 15 year old who is a sophomore and a 13 year old who is in eighth grade. So three boys. Yes. That's awesome. So your hands are pretty tied and you're pretty busy probably. Oh no, life is just calm, smooth, no chaos, no chaos here. And a cute dog on top of that. Yes. yes. Who will probably try to be on the podcast. He will want to make his presence known at some point. So yes, if you hear any crazy sounds in the background, that's probably, that's probably Simba, our uh, mini Bernadoodle. Simba. Well, our listeners probably know that that this is a common question that we start our podcast off with. We ask our mm. guests what their story is. And actually, you came up with that question. And so can you even tell our listeners why it's important that we start there? Yeah, well, certainly for all of us, our family of origin stories, right, they play such an important role in who we are and uh, in our identity journeys, but I think particularly for the guests on our show, maybe they are immigrants or children of Im immigrants like I am, or maybe they're descendants of folks who've been here for centuries, or maybe they have family members who were once enslaved, whatever the case may be, you know, we, I think, have found that that story, that ethnic background journey of our guests uh, often affects their publishing journeys, right? There's some relationship Absolutely. between Absolutely. those, right? And so I've been, it's just been fascinating to me to hear story after story that that seems to be proven over time that the gauntlet that authors of color go through to write and get published, it's different than for white authors. I'm not saying it's not hard for, for white authors, but there's a difference, I think, for mm -hmm. authors of color in their journey. And so I think when we ask that question about where they're from or what their background is or where they grew up or what their ethnic background is, it helps to shed light on mm -hmm. some of those differences and uniquenesses that go along with being authors of color trying to get published. So that's why I think it's important for us to know that backstory. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well. Helen, you will never toot your own horn, so we will do it for you <laughs> on this podcast. And for those of you listening and you don't know Helen, she's had an incredible career even in the publishing industry. I mean, she's worn every hat that you could possibly wear as an author, an editor, a marketer, and now she's in the strategic role. And so, Helen, we want to ask you, um, how would you sum up the trajectory of your career um, and what have you learned in each of these roles that you've had? <laughs> well, thank you, Milo. That's very kind. I think that you are too generous in your adjectives there. I, I feel like it's indicative of my own, you know, uh, what's that phrase, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about myself. But it's also it is part of my personality. I do love learning and doing new things. And so I've really been very fortunate to get a chance to, to learn all these different parts of the business. I don't think it's something I would have expected. You know, when I came to IVP in 2014, so it's been a little over six years, I was hired as an acquisitions editor. Ed knows that role. He's done that job as well. And I just thought I'm going to happily do this job, you know, for the rest of my time, as long as the Lord allows to be at IVP. I was really pleased to do that work. It really, it fit mm -hmm. me 
really well. Um, but you know, it's funny how God works. He opened up a door for me to become the director of marketing in 2016. So I think, I'm not sure if I just said the dates right. I started at IVP 2014 and 2016 is when I became the director of marketing, which was a whole journey, which <laughs> I did for three years. I knew pretty much nothing <laughs> about marketing, but uh, my colleagues at IVP thought that some of the other things in my background, I went to business school, I started at dot-com, I had done some other things in the area of nonprofits and such. And so I guess they thought I could bring all that to bear in the marketing side. So it was an incredible learning experience. And Mila, you know that team well, now that you are with that team, we didn't get to overlap, unfortunately, I on know. the team, but <laughs> I know the folks you work with, they're all just wonderful folks. And I had a yeah. great time doing that. But I think that um, what I learned over the course of those three years is that I, I love doing new projects, startup projects. That's something that came out in an assessment I did um, a couple of years ago. So that led to the job I'm doing now, which is essentially um, in this area of strategic partnerships. And it has allowed me to be involved in this project, Every Voice Now, which I'm sure we'll talk about more in a bit, as well as some other things like Seminary Now and other unique projects that are just different and out of the norm for us as a publisher. So it's been, mm. it's been truly uh, just so fun to get a chance to do all these things and to bring all these different parts of me together in, um, in this particular role. So I don't know if there's anything in terms of trajectory. I'm not sure that I have any wisdom in terms of what all this means, except maybe I would say that I think I've learned that whenever you're trying something new, like progress in any area that's new it just takes intentionality it takes initiative and you know that's that applies across the board whether we're talking about a, acquiring a book on a topic mm -hmm. that hasn't been really covered before at IVP or in the church or whether we're talking about increasing multi-ethnicity you know in publishing any of those things if we're trying to do something different something new it just takes intentionality and initiative and I think we'll probably talk about all those things as we go along yeah well, thank you. I, I must say I've had the privilege of, of uh, knowing you and working with you at different points along the way yeah. for many years now. <laughs> yes. I won't say how many years. No, no. <laughs> but it's been a blessing and, and I've learned so much from you. And um, this is the perfect role for you because it brings mm. your, like you said, it brings together so many of your gifts and um, we're excited to see your leadership here. So Aww, thanks, that brings Ed. us to yeah, but that brings us to this point. Every Voice Now, where did yeah. it come from? Could you talk about the origin of it and your mm -hmm. vision for it? Yeah, well, I can't take you know credit for starting the initiative, although I will say that while I was um, on the senior leadership team at IVP, I had been thinking a lot about how we could continue to strengthen our efforts with authors of color and reaching audiences of color. And actually, at the same time, I was going through just that own mental exercise in my own head Unbeknownst to me, our publisher, Jeff Crosby, was similarly pursuing this kind of idea himself and specifically trying to create some sort of fund that could help do these kinds of things. And so we finally got on the same page and recognized that we were thinking about some of these same things. And he had already gone down a path of trying to actually learn what that means to create a fund, raise a fund. And anyway, all that came together in what we now have in Every Voice Now, which is an initiative that has two parts. 
So one part is a fund that is uh, designed for various members of IBP's um, staff to be able to tap into as needed um, to help with supporting or elevating um, authors of color that they are working with. So particularly for our editorial folks or our sales and marketing folks who are the ones who work most directly with those books, it gives them an extra way to be able to kind of find those readers that would match that book or help find ways to help that author along in their process of building their platform or whatever it might be. Just an, a recognition right. and acknowledgement that that there is extra effort needed um, at times to help our authors just amplify and elevate their voices. Um, there's also uh, some money in that fund to help with reaching audiences of color because we recognize that as much as we love to publish authors of color, our audience probably leans still majority white. It is the church um, after all. So we want to continually be mindful of that and figure out ways to continue to broaden um, our audience base and find ways to reach readers of color who I think would love our books if they knew about them, especially the books that we have written by authors of color. Um, And there's also a portion of the fund that's designed for our own um, internal use to help with our recruiting, to help with our cultural competency. So just to continue to strengthen our our multi-ethnicity muscles, if you will, to -hmm. help us continue to be a publisher that that does um, good work in in continuing to reach and stretch um, in the area of multi-ethnic publishing. So that's the background on um, on every voice now and the podcast. I'll tell you tell the story about the podcast, which is you know by no means again not my solitary idea, but it, it's it's in a way it's a child of the pandemic because you all remember this. We had initially wanted to launch the whole initiative at the Calvin Festival of Faith and Writing. Um, this past year would have been we would have we were planning to go to Calvin at that big event and have a kind of a big reception or some way that we could, yeah, big bash, something in person where we could invite all the industry folks to come and learn about the initiative. And you know what, in hindsight, I mean, as much as it would have been great to do that, I am so glad that we did this instead (laughs) because that would have been a fun night. You know, it would have been kind of a fun flash in the pan evening. And then maybe it would have just kind of gotten forgotten and faded away, but Instead, we shifted to doing this podcast in part mm-hmm. to do something that would allow us to talk about the initiative and then actually live out the value of trying to elevate authors of color. And now we have all these great stories and they're continuing on and they will live in perpetuity. And that's exciting to me to see how as much as I have not, none of us have wanted this pandemic and we would all, of course, if we had a choice, not have to deal with it. But this is a good that's come out of the pandemic is we have this podcast and it's been wonderful. Absolutely. I'm I'm actually looking forward to a both and to have the Mm -hmm. podcast now, (laughs) but to someday be able to still do that big event. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We can still do that. I think, but now, well, yeah, I like the both and that's good. Yeah. That's good. So every voice now is just getting started, but it's still, I mean, already has made a, a pretty, uh, significant impact out there. Hmm. We've been hearing lots of positive things from from authors, agents, other folks in the industry. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Publishers Weekly recently uh, referenced it positively in an article about diversity uh, in book publishing. What can other publishers learn from IVP's journey in launching uh, an Hmm. initiative like Every Voice Now? Yeah, I'm really curious to know how many industry 
professionals we have listening to our podcast, I, I feel like if they really truly wanted to understand more about what it means to continue to support authors of color, they should absolutely be listening and subscribing to our podcast because we're mm -hmm. learning so much from our authors about their own publishing journeys, about some of the obstacles they had along the way. Uh, we've learned, I've been really blessed to learn how much um, IVP has been valued for them in their journey and the things that IVP has done well to demonstrate that they care about their voice, that they want to shepherd their voice well. And there's so much good content in our podcast for publishing professionals. If they want to get a window into what it means to serve authors of color well, they absolutely should be subscribing and listening. And of course, you know, that makes it in some ways more competitive, right? That if we give away some of our secrets, but there's a part of me that feels like this will be good for the church overall. If yeah. more publishers can understand these values, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing that will yeah. help uh, find ways, not just at IVP, but at, across the industry where, where authors of color can feel like they are heard and valued and that, that their stories are are elevated. So right, yeah, right. I, so I think that yes, publishing professionals should listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, a good segue to our next question is, um, you wrote this um, incredible essay for the Asian American Christian Collaborative, um, mm -hmm. which I hope we can, we'll link in the show notes. Um, and you titled it, U.S. Demographics Are Changing and the Publishing Industry Needs to Follow Suit. Mm -hmm. um, and in that essay, you talk about why it's both good business and a faithful expression of the gospel for book publishers to represent this increasingly multi-ethnic world. And so can you yeah. talk, I mean, a little bit more about the essay and what you hope this essay will accomplish? Mm. Well, to be completely honest, I wrote the essay mainly to promote the podcast and what we were doing. It all connects. So I'll just be, you know, just be completely honest there. But given the opportunity, I thought, okay, this will be helpful, I think, to shed light on an, in, on an industry that those who may not be inside the way we are might not mm -hmm. be able to kind of see the broader strokes. Um, so I was hopeful that it could help paint a little more of a clearer picture on what publishing is like, uh, what it's like in terms of this question about diversity. It may feel very distant or mystical or mystifying, you know, to even break into for those who are on the yeah. outside. But I, I think I, I'm hoping this came through. I wanted to make clear that publishing needs people of color, you know, on all levels, at all functions, not just writers, but you know, at every level in the industry. So I'm hoping that it gave people some hope if they are, if there are people who are out there who read that article, who themselves would love to break into the industry, just that knowledge that, hey, the industry needs me in some ways more than I yeah. need the industry. There's a lot of areas of need there. So hopefully that gave some folks out there some inspiration and vision um, for how they could potentially, you know, move into the area of publishing and, and Christian publishing in particular, I think, tends to lag behind our secular counterparts. I think that our secular counterparts in publishing have been saying for, for some time now that publishing is a very white industry, it still is. Um, and I think that's even more the case in the Christian subculture. So to, mm -hmm. to name that and to make that, uh, make that clear, I thought was really important because we just have to continue to raise the disparities uh, that I think ultimately helps catalyze progress yeah. and like I said earlier change just doesn't just happen right it just right. it's it's not something that will just automatically oh overnight things are going to just shift it has to 
come with intentionality and perseverance, especially right. in publishing where I think change is slow. So uh, efforts like what we're doing here in the podcast and continuing to raise awareness, I think all hopefully help and hopefully will inspire even more people to do what they can to make change happen where they are. Mm-hmm. Well, one of my favorite parts of uh, the essay is when you write, um, and I'm quoting here, we pursue diversity, not just for diversity's sake. We want to reflect a multi-ethnic body that is unified in its devotion to Christ so that the world can know the power of God's love to bridge any and all gaps. Yeah. No other institution can fully display racial harmony like the church can. That, that is just so powerful yeah. and right on target, Helen. And, and I'm hoping and praying that not only publishing leaders will embrace that message, but all of us. It's a prophetic message that we all need to live out. Um, could, could you give our listeners some, some counsel, some advice on how to make this commitment to biblical diversity real in their spheres of influence? I'm imagining, um, like we said before, you know, that there's folks out there from the publishing industry, mm-hmm. there's published authors, aspiring authors, editors, agents, marketing folks, but also pastors, teachers, ministry leaders in general who are listening oh. to us. Could you give us a word to take with us on this uh, important topic? Yeah, thank you for highlighting that line. I it's something I, I believe really strongly. I think sometimes mm-hmm. in the church, you know, we who care so much about um, issues of representation, I think sometimes can fall short a little bit because we we stop there. We think, okay, representation, like that's the goal. If we if we diversify, mm-hmm. that's the goal. And mm-hmm. and in my mind, that's that's not the goal. Um, and that way of thinking falls short of how we need to be mm-hmm. thinking more broadly about these issues as the church. Because if we're just going to diversify and we're happy with diversifying, then we're really no different than the rest of the secular world that's trying to do the same. Like once they reach that, well, then what? Um, what's, the, what's the goal? Mm-hmm. So I feel like as Christians, we have to take that last leap, right? Which is God has given us this gift of multi-ethnicity so that, you know, we can demonstrate our unity in Christ and that's what draws people yeah. to him, right? And I, I, I still firmly believe this. I think we still have a long way to go as the church to actually demonstrate this, but I don't think any institution but the body of Christ can, de- mm. can demonstrate true, true unity, right? Across all barriers, whether we're talking racial or ethnic or class or any other kinds of barriers that exist, it's, it's that bond we have in Christ that allows us to cross those differences. And that, that I think, is an incredible witness um, to the world. So that's kind of the purpose, right? That's like the big picture purpose of why we even care about things like diversity and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how does, how does that translate to every day or just how pe- what people can do, especially those, of, f- those folks who are in the publishing universe? I would just ask people to ask themselves, you know, how much do they intentionally strive to live a multi-ethnic life? Look at their friendship circles, look at their professional networks, look at their reading lists, look at the media they consume. You know, are we building in our in, in ourselves lifestyles mm-hmm. that demonstrate that we value different perspectives? We value the voices of people from various backgrounds and cultures and um, contexts and and all those kinds of things because as we do that that increases our ability uh, to demonstrate our, our witness um, to to Christ so I think that mindset and having that mindset of trying to live a multi ethnic life and do so intentionally because of the fact that it leads to uh, greater opportunity for witness 
is is uh, is something that we can intentionally do. It's something we can take steps to do in our own in our yeah. own spheres. And I think that's why when I think about IVP, I mean IVP's whole mindset uh, and desire to elevate voices of color. It comes from a kind of a long-standing value and inter- an internal culture that is committed mm-hmm. to multi-ethnicity. I and mean, we're not perfect, but that value is woven so deeply in our DNA as an organization. And it's been a huge part of our parent organization's witness for Christ um, and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I mean, that commitment to multi-ethnicity has drawn so many college students um, into uh, into the fold and to meet Jesus. And I think that's true too of what we are trying to do at IVP. And that should be true of all of us in the church and what our life and our work is pointing towards. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yes, that's good, thank you. So good. Wow, well, oh. I wish we could talk about this forever, <laughs> um, but I mean, we're, we've come to the end of this kind of bonus episode, um, but before we let you go back to behind the scenes, um, can you share with our listeners how they can reach you or follow you or just even learn more about what you're doing? Well, sure. You can visit my woefully outdated website, which is <laughs> www.helenleebooks.com, and I'm at places like Twitter and Instagram with that same handle, Helen Lee Books. Twitter is probably the place that I mainly communicate about um, things like this, like topics and ideas in the area of multi-ethnic publishing. Instagram I mainly use so I can keep touch with all my boys who use Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> one way or the, or the other, you can find me. There are a zillion Helen Lees out there, but there's there's only one Helen Lee Books, so you can find me there. Awesome. Well, you guys know where to find Helen. Um, Thank you, Helen, so much for coming out from behind the scenes and being on the mic today. It was fun to talk to you. My pleasure. I really appreciate both of you and the great work you do. And I will be happily behind the scenes continuing (laughs) to do what I do so you all can shine. Well, thank you, Helen. And and thanks to our listeners for putting in the overtime to join us for this bonus episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as Myla and I did. And please join us next time for another regularly scheduled edition (laughs) of the Every Voice Now podcast.